and welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, a podcast title that I now have to get used to saying a lot because this is our relaunch episode. This is our first episode of this podcast. Joining me is new, I would say officially crowned, you know, before we kind of dragged it out and eventually, Amanda, I did call you co-host. Now it's just official. You are the co-host of this podcast. Amanda is joining us full time. Welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) We have decided to dispense with the Penguin Classics, mostly because we finished them, and that endeavor is concluded. (laughs) And this is a podcast relaunch. Um, Hopefully, when you're hearing this, all of those old Penguin Classic reviews and book clubs we've done are in the feed. But this is a new title. The podcast should have a new name, some new art. And we are here launching the Lightly Literary Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to make it mostly a guided book club experience where we'll be doing a book every two weeks, which we decided together was kind of a good pace for reading. I think you and I both read a good number of books per year, and I think one every two weeks seems pretty fair. I'm not sure. Do you normally read at a faster pace than that? Um, I just normally read several books at one time, and I'll just kind of pick and choose my mood. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) completely. I I think I max out at three at a time, but I'm in the same mental space, too. I probably shouldn't, but that's what I do. (laughs) So that's the reality (laughs) of it. But if you're listening to this, we're decided on a new format, and the format is pretty straightforward. Today is Monday, the 1st of February, the relaunch day. This is a book recommendation episode. This is the episode where we try and persuade you to read a, read along with us. So if you're going into this thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like the book they picked, I don't know if I want to follow for two weeks and do those book clubs, this is the one to listen to. This is going to be under 30 minutes. We're going to try and persuade you actively to read it. We will be picking books we believe that you should read. This is no longer... Basically, we're not going to pick books that are duds anymore. We have researched and vetted the books. We've checked. We've quality controlled everything. Um, and if you go back in the feed and listen to the the explainer podcast, you can get more detail on like how we're picking and what we're doing. But the short version is basically we're going to pick quality things that we think are worth reading. And this is the episode that if you're on the fence, this is you're in the right place, listen to this one. If you know you're going to read along with us, then just go pick up the copy of a uh, copy of Janesville and American Story by Amy Goldstein. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But again, if you're uncertain or you just want to hear about, you know, something you might like, you're in the right place. Today we'll be trying to recommend and persuade you to read this book. We do have some segments planned, which we'll get to now. Why don't we begin with a classic, Amanda? Penguin listeners will know what this one is. Um, We're going to begin with reading similes. So we're going to describe a simile, or or pick a simile, rather, that we think describes the reading experience of this book, which we've both finished. Amanda, why don't you start us off with your simile? What was reading this book like? Um, Mine is pretty literal, actually. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so is mine. um, (laughs) <laughs> Reading this is like watching a documentary um, about a catastrophic, catastrophic event and the effects yeah. of that event on specific people. So you'll see things like um, the one that actually came to mind for me was like watching uh, a documentary on something like 9-11 and then the people who were um, some of the fighters in that, but also some of the people who maybe were related to people who were involved in that and people who um, were perhaps adjacent to it. So it's like different levels of um, how close they are to that event. And it's, I think, the same thing as in Janesville. Yeah, the the high to low 
thoroughness of it i think is the one of the more admirable qualities like you i guess the only people they don't really document are the they do some of the ceos from the gm like corporation do show up but in very small bursts but um politically speaking they really go high to low from like really small organizations like the high school that i went to that is in the book does a sort of closet donation thing that's like the lowest possible level right a couple of people run that that's not a huge organization like it doesn't seem to have a massive budget or anything it's just people figuring things out but then yeah it's also about like paul ryan who was a vice presidential nominee so it does move around quite a bit I went very literal, too. I've put down that reading this is like reading an above-average newspaper story. Like, this is... It is newspaper-style writing. It is like a profile of a person or maybe like some kind of policy write-up where, you know, the Washington Post or New York Times or Take Your Pick, they're sort of giving a summary of, oh, okay, the, you know, Congress passed this law. This is what's going to change. And then, you know, maybe in six months they update like, oh, this is what's happened. These This money's got moved around here. It's at times budgetary. But it is very light and readable so i don't think you know you could present this as sort of like here's a big text about here's what the working class is now and it's uh it's economics and it's imposing but it's really just not it's very readable like if you can read a newspaper you can read this book and so and i think like a newspaper right it's a difficult balance of you have to make it readable you know i think what do they say most newspapers are fifth grade reading levels or something like Mm -hmm. that like you have to make it very readable and accessible but the book doesn't back away from serious issues it's not like it's not like they trade in the readability for like oh it's also childlike and it's presentation of things like no it's pretty even-handed pretty realistic and so i think it yeah it just hit me as like you know as someone who doesn't read newspapers ever i have you know like an ap news app i use but yeah, it just felt like, oh, yeah, this is you'd pick up the front page, you know, you'd read through those couple of columns and this felt like that, but for a book length. Yeah, I agree. It, it's very readable, which I was surprised by because I don't read a whole lot of nonfiction and I was expecting yeah. it to not be as enjoyable since Amy Goldstein is a journalist, but she does a, a, a great job actually with um, making it enjoyable and also, you know, fact based. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the her background and training does show through. Let's yeah. move on to the second segment then. We do want to start, so we like to start with the similes and get you into the recommendation. Now we'll talk you through our scripted pitches. So like I said, the goal of these book recommendation starter episodes is to persuade you to read along with us. So if you're listening to this and still thinking, well, I don't know if I want to read about, you know, an economic you know, the economic conditions of a Midwestern town, that's fine. Now we're going to dive into trying to persuade you a little more with something we've planned and written in advance, roughly 200 words or so. One of us will go, then the other will go, and we'll kind of give you our scripted persuasive bit about why you should read this. Amanda, why don't you start us off? What is your scripted pitch for why people should read Janesville? Sure. Um, I said, Amy Goldstein thrusts her readers into the still oozing wound of the Great Recession in what was once an idyllic town in Wisconsin that was left nearly crushed when GM closed its factory. Although you won't witness any blood or overt cruelty in Goldstein's exploration of several Janesville families, this book will still make you flinch and wonder at the failures of some of the most basic tenets of the American ideal. Goldstein proves that journalists can provide more than just quick quips and fast facts as she displays the deeply personal injuries of these families alongside the often deeply misguided interpersonal workings of those in power. If you're looking for a read that is well-paced, expressive without the Dickens-esque ramble, and poignant in its depictions of a struggling town wavering in its can-do attitude, Goldstein wrote the book for you. 
Yeah, let me jump in and interject on some things that I think are perfectly said there. The once idyllic part is fascinating to me. Um, mm-hmm. As if, if anyone joins us for the book clubs of this, you'll learn pretty quickly that I grew up in Janesville. That was why I chose this book based on the prompt you gave me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's weird because, you know, growing up, I think like most people, we sort of dissed our hometown and we're just like, oh, it's boring here. It's But I mean, kids in, who grew up in New York City do that too. It's like, ah, oh, there's nothing yeah. going on here. It's, not, it's, just the, it's just the kid mind. It's the teenage attitude of like, my town sucks and is boring and too small. Like, I, you know, I've yeah. met people who grew up in Chicago who are like, Chicago's boring. Like, I, you know, it's like, man, you, <laughs> it's like the, what, you can't do much bigger than that. Like, what do you mean it's boring? <laughs> um, where, where else are you going to go? You know, there's nowhere else to go. And so... I don't know if I'd call it ideal. It was definitely a peaceful p- place to grow up, though. Now that I look back on it, it was a very, a very even, even keel, pretty stable childhood. And so, I guess in a lot of ways, depending on what, how you define idyllic in the American mind, yeah, I mean, it checks a lot of the boxes. It was yeah. economically stable. That it had a thriving sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Citizenry, where it's like there's a lot of volunteerism going on. There's a lot of like active civil organizations. There's a ton of sports stuff going on. You know, as a kid, you're you're going to the parks, you're doing your sports leagues. So yeah, I think that description is pretty, pretty apt. And yeah, also the not Dickensian stuff or not Dickens-esque, it, it yeah. avoids that completely. Like it's not, I don't think it really wants to pander too hard to any group. And so I think it keeps a pretty even keel the whole time. Right. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, I'll give my scripted pitch, Amanda. Let's see if there's anything here that stands out to you. So I think this is an account of a mid-sized town that could border on tender at times, but it finds, I think, a really quite fair-minded middle ground approach. I don't think the storytelling pushes in any direction too hard. The authenticity is such that you can practically taste the beer and smell the bratwurst wafting out of this one, which are two topics I found that were never mentioned in the book, which I thought was hilarious. Those are like the (laughs) Wisconsin state stereotypes, and they never get mentioned one time, which is kind of wild. I think then perhaps the author judged that smartly, though, uh, as its subject and, and therefore the conclusions, I think are a bit more sinister. I don't think it wants to be playing with fun stereotypes. Janesville is a city that kind of is floating on the flailing whims of a failing industrial capitalism that I don't think deserves a full-throated celebration. So those things are not missed. You'll be reminded throughout how Janesville is an ongoing experiment in the American exceptionalism idea through and through. And to an extent, the citizens bear that out until tragically a few of them simply don't. And so it's important to remember that American exceptionalism is an experiment that might fail. And I think the book presents that pretty fairly. If you're seeking chest-bumping patriotism, you should go elsewhere. This is not for you. But I think... If you're that person, you also really need to read this then. <laughs> so it's weird. Like, it, it's not going <laughs> to self-fulfill you, but you, you're the person that needs this the most. Um, if you're seeking to meet some, I think, some really pragmatic adult, they call them characters, which I, that always bothers me in nonfiction. Like, these are real people. They're not characters. Right. They, though they call them that in the front of the book, whatever. Um, but there's some really pragmatic adults you'll find. And frankly, I thought the, the teenagers in it were just like staggeringly badass in a very realistic way. It's not like the Gossip Girl or CW shows where they're like teenagers who are all glossy and, you know, doing high-minded whatever crazy um, backstabbing. This is like... They're just like very steely teenagers. If yeah. those sound like people you want to read about, then this is a really, I think this is the read for those people. And that's yeah. my pitch. I think that's great. You're, I loved the contrast to the Gossip Girl crew because yes, <laughs> these teenagers, all the characters are very, very real. And we get to see a lot of like um, 
their motivations and stuff for what they're doing and why they're doing it. And what I really enjoyed um, that you pointed out was the full throated celebration. So it, it is celebratory in that uh, Goldstein praises Janesville for its civic mindedness um, for the most part, but also there's that the cutting away of that over time as things just get worse and worse. Yeah, so I think that's yeah. a really interesting aspect of, of the book. Yeah. And it, I think the deterioration in the book happens slowly, which feels the most fitting because yeah. that's just how these things go. You know, it's never, even if, even if the first year after like a big company leaves is a, feels the worst, the real cracks start to show later, which I think the book mm-hmm. kind of hints at too. So, yeah, that's our scripted pitch. We've got a couple segments left planned, though, for you if you're still listening and you're on the fence. I think, Amanda, what would be best, and we did this in our old review system, is to now give a quote for clarification. So we're going to try and read something from the book and present it to you, the listener, that will give you a sense of what reading this account of Janesville is like. Uh, I don't mind starting for this one since I made yeah. you do the last one. I pulled a quote from, I think, later in the book. I didn't actually pull a page for this. It's amateur hour by me. But I think this is like two, in the 200s. <laughs> this is like later. Um, This is about the governor, Scott Walker, who gets elected during the timeline of the book. Last winter, a manufacturing association that supports Governor Scott Walker began to erect billboards around the state that said, Governor Scott Walker creating jobs for Wisconsin. The signs listed the phone number to the governor's office so that citizens could call to thank him. Somehow, no one realized that it might be awkward to place the first of these billboards directly across from the silent General Motors assembly plant. The sign immediately became a laughing stock in town. It was soon gone. A couple things in the quote that are, I think, emblematic of the book. That there's no subtle observations that the that I think escape the author. So like this is a small example, but those can matter a lot, especially in the sort of history and myth of a town. So like this really hilariously dumb billboard mistake that I cannot mm-hmm. believe. Like it's one of those bureaucratic <laughs> bumblings that you're like, holy shit, that like actually happened. What, what like who approved it? It clearly just got approved on like a computer document somewhere, and no human actually ever like looked at the billboard in person was like yes that's it uh or maybe they did and they have like hubris or something but so it's it's a great moment of that so it's like yeah this is a really interesting little insight it's a almost a fun kind of funny depending on the context of how you read this anecdote so i think the story hits a lot of those but i think the ending right the sign immediately became a laughing stock in town it was soon gone I, and that, I think, shows that her tone and her own point of view, the author, I mean, doesn't ever veer too hard in one way. Like, if mm-hmm. if this were a more opinionated book, there would, there would need to be a joke taking Walker down there, and there would need to be, like, this is a hypocritic idiot man who is clearly incompetent and is just, like, trying to rampage through unions. That's, like, his number one thing. I mean, I you know, you could editorialize all over this. And it just oh, doesn't. Yeah. It, it presents it... And almost leaves the conclusions. I mean, the book has conclusions for sure, but it almost leaves some of the more, I guess I'd say, political-ish conclusions to the reader, I think. And so Mm -hmm. I just thought this was, it was a funny moment. The book is not overall funny, but this I thought was hilarious, so worth pointing out. And I think it fits with some of the other, like, really small observations she does get in. She was clearly embedded and, like, knows even the smaller stuff that happened at the time. And I think it presents her tone throughout so that's why i chose that quote how about uh, for you amanda what quote did you pick um i chose one at the beginning on page six um 
which kind of, I guess, also embodies the the subtle observations that she has, which mm-hmm. uh, for a journalist, of course, you have to be observant. But the the little details that she comes up with, I find she did really well, um, especially since she's not actually from Janesville. But it seems like she almost was from Janesville in, the, in how knowledgeable she was in the mindset of, of a lot of these people. Um, so on page six, the one that I chose said, it is hard. The deserted assembly plant embodies their dilemma. How do you forge a future? How do you even comprehend that you need to let go of the past when the carcass of a 4.8 million square foot cathedral of industry still sits in silence on the river's edge? So I chose this one because I love the imagery. You can definitely envision this gigantic factory sitting next to a river that's completely empty and it's kind of depressing as an image too if you also imagine it in the wisconsin snow and it's a great metaphor too like the cathedral of industry where it's almost like a religion because the way that um and she'll go into this in the book like with the politicians and and the way that they discuss and and maneuver around industry is really interesting and it's almost uh it's almost a religion for a lot of people where it's it's mm-hmm. the the holy god of of the economy and um i also enjoyed with this one that it's setting up the the giant the, the main conflict the thing that is pulling people one way or another in this book is do i how do I move on from something that has been such a staple of our lives? And, and should I wait? Should I not wait? What should I do? It's, it's yeah. this big conflict that is, yeah. that permeates the entire book. Oh yeah. Right? At, at least concise. at least three of the threads in the story are about how to move on and when or when not to, and you know, right. and what that would look like if you, if you either choose to move on or don't. Some people kind of don't in a way move on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's great. And I, Great image to pick because, you know, I, I look at that sentence and I think, well, if like Edgar Allan Poe wrote this, right? You go into the paragraph of the different spires and the smokestack and the, yeah, it, like there's a way you could yeah. write that up, like do two more sentences and like really make it seem gothic or grim or like really bleak or whatever. But I think it's, yeah. you know, she picks an image when it, it, when it serves to evoke something and then she lets it go again it just hits me like that kind of efficiency of newspaper writing where if you're going to pick your when you're writing in a newspaper you really got to pick those moments with great caution because you don't want to oversell or undersell something and so yeah that's a really good one to pick too very indicative of the style if you can read that sentence you can read this book (laughs) you know like that's it that's it i mean that's you just have to imagine things like that and you can you can keep up with this one for sure yeah, that's a great yeah. one to pick. Final segment we're going to do for the book recommendations. We're trying to keep these under 30 minutes, and so far, we are making great time. This, for us, yeah, is un- unheard of. <laughs> we we made a big deal when we were planning this to make sure these episodes were efficient, and uh, we're just nailing it. So, uh, mm-hmm. final segment of the recommendation episode for Janesville and American Story is going to be the literary knapsack, is what we're going to call it for now, which... I don't know why I called it that, but I don't know. I kind of like it. <laughs> it's like you're like going, <laughs> going out into the woods, I guess. You know, literature, you know, you're lost in the woods, etc. Whatever. And so this is something that Amanda and I will give you. We each picked one. Hopefully they're different, though I didn't even check, but that's okay. Um, they are. 
This is any either literary device or it could be a reference or an illusion or a topic. It really doesn't. I mean, we're just calling it literary because that's a word we like on the pod. But anything that we say you should go into this book aware of. So this is almost like us foreshadowing something, uh, trying to help you out, trying to make your, your journey through the book a little easier. So, you know, going in like, oh, I should be thinking about X or I should be knowing I should know about Y before I go in. Amanda, why don't you start us off and give the reader or the listener in this case, something for the literary knapsack to take into the book. Sure. I said that, um, and we kind of touched on this earlier, there's a lot of um, politics going on, a lot of discussion of politics, a lot of politicians that uh, show up in this book. So I would say that you should probably go ahead beforehand, and I did this while I was reading, but um, if you don't know who Paul Ryan and Scott Walker are, I would say go ahead and look them up and kind of like read up on their policies and stuff because she goes in, um, Amy Goldstein goes into some detail um, discussing their political beliefs, uh, but she does, and she throws in a couple of like names of uh, some of their policies that they've created and stuff. But she doesn't really like break down exactly what all those policies are. So if you wanted to take a quick look mm, and yeah. and look at the big ideas, I think that would really help you out. And she also talks about President Obama. Um, and how he handled the situation. So if you're interested in that, um, she doesn't really go into too much detail uh, regarding uh, President yeah. Obama's stances, but I think that it would be a a good way to kind of see the contrast too if you looked up President Obama's handling of the economic si- uh, situation. The, the only thing about the Obama, once you go that big, I don't know if you could find a source for that that would be efficient, you know? Like yeah. I think Walker and Ryan, you could probably... I looked it all up on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was going to say, there's probably uh, records, public records that are at least, you know, I, I don't want to give somebody like an hour of homework before the book, but I think right. you're, you nailed it. Like, I, I, if you can know who Paul Ryan and Scott Walker are before you start this, then it's going to be smooth sailing. The Obama stuff would be, that's to me is like the extended study, just because yeah. of how much money that his administration injected into certain financial groups and banks and like auto industry that like that is big money and those are like really big picture problems and so i just think that opens up and i agree she addresses it in the book but not in as much detail and so Mm -hmm. um with the exception of one anecdote that we're just doing the wreck here i'm not going to continue but yeah that's a great one those are good picks i'm going to go simpler mine's a literary term point of view the book at the beginning of it has a cast of characters page or, you know, two pages uh, for a reason. I structurally maybe don't agree with how the book was put together 100%, but I completely get why they chose it this way, which is it's all chronological. The book breaks itself into years. So it's like 2000, I think eight or nine, it starts and then it just goes year by year. And in each year section, all of the characters get brought up again. Characters, quote unquote. So if you if you want to follow a family with somebody named Jared, you're going to have to try and remember who Jared is. And so mm-hmm. it, it has this limited third person point of view. When she writes about them, she writes outside of them and tries to update you on what their lives are like, what they're doing. Just keeping track of those, though, you know, in whatever way your brain can as a reader, try and keep shorthand, try and associate them with simple things like, oh, that's, I think it, their name is like Woolpaw. I just kept thinking like union guy, like that's the union family. <laughs> so it just like any simple association. So when you get back into their story, because, you know, you'll go 50 pages and not have an update on their story. And so it, you just have to be balancing 
I don't know. How many different people story threads does she keep going? Like 10? I don't know. So many. Yeah. yeah. And, and family members too and, and friends and yep. yeah, it gets in depth. Yeah. And there's ex- yeah extended family and then there's, and I think to, to her credit, she does a good job every time she uses their full names again. <laughs> like she's not yep. going to just throw some pronouns in or whatever. And she even will do little sentences to just kind of in my mind it was refreshing me on what happened with them so it's like remember mike wolpaw like the last time we saw him he was doing this so i think the writing is she does a lot of that work for you on your own but you have to know going in that they're it's it's like 10 threads weaving through time and yeah you're gonna have to keep on top of it a little just something to be aware of so Mm -hmm. any final thoughts on janesville and american story amanda before we set our dear listeners out into the wild to read this book uh, no, I just, you know, go into it with an open mind and it's it's more enjoyable, I'm sure, than you would expect mm-hmm. it to be. So, yeah. As far as a political and economic base read, I, yeah, I don't know what would be more accessible or sort of like easygoing, quote unquote, to read than this one. That's for sure. Yeah. We will be doing two episodes on Janesville and American Story. They're both going to be book club episodes and we are splitting the book directly in half. I think it was... Oh, gosh, yeah, I should have had the page numbers ready. I'll have it ready in the next episode. But for yeah, book chapter clo- 30 starts part, part two. There you go. Okay, so we'll be doing the first 29 or 30 chapters for part one, and then for part two, we'll finish the book. Book Club Part 1 for Janesville is going to be posted on Friday the 5th, so that's Friday, February 5th, and then there's a week break, and we'll be posting Book Club Part 2 on Friday the 12th. So we're hoping that in that period of time, you can get a copy of this book from ideally a local bookseller, but, you know, do what you can to get a hold of the book, maybe a library, that's always the dream, if it's safe to do so, (laughs) (laughs) pandemic times. Anyway, and so by Friday the 5th, You don't have to read half of it by then. Take the weekend, maybe catch up with us next week. And then Friday the 12th, that's when we'll have the book finished. So if you finish by then, both episodes will be there for you. Um, We appreciate you coming along for the new journey. If this book doesn't sound like it appeals to you in any way, check back in with us in two weeks for a new book recommendation. We will be doing, again, a book every two weeks. That is the new format. And if you just check the feed for the books that say book recommendation at the front of it, just check in in two weeks and see what we're reading then, and perhaps it will be more to your to your liking and interest. But we think we chose a pretty good one to start this off, Amanda. Any yep. final thoughts before we journey off into our new book club format? No, I'm all good. Fantastic. Well, thanks for listening, and we will see you between the pages. Mm-hmm.